Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast, where we're discussing the two greatest generational gifts, raising a family and leaving a legacy. If you would, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast with others so we can help educate more people. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. I wanted to welcome you to the next podcast of Lighthouse Ventures, where we're helping, where we're building wealth together. And I want to, I'm really excited about today's guest. Her name is Anastasia Gamino. And, you know, her and I just recently met and I was fascinated by her story. Um, And she's going to be able to tell you better than myself, but she is new into this investment space and she's accomplished a lot in a very short amount of time. And the fact that um, we're already talking about possibly doing deals together in the future is really exciting. Uh, I'm sure for both, I mean, I know it is from my vantage point and I'd like to think maybe it is for her too, being so new into this space. Um, But without further ado, Anastasia, why don't you please tell us about you and your husband and what you've been able to do already in three years. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me on. I'm so excited. Um, But yes, I have been in investing for three and a half years. But I feel like my investing journey started before my first property. I think a lot of people who get into real estate start with personal finance. And that was kind of my story and my husband's story too. Um, He was always a super saver. He's an immigrant from Mexico City, serial entrepreneur. And um, he, even though he was a really good saver, he never knew what to do with his money. He would have $50,000, $60,000 saved, didn't really know what to do. He Um, would sometimes try different ventures like Amazon, you know, being a third party seller, um, different kind of small um, companies like that. Well, one day we were just walking, um, doing our normal nightly walks. And he was like, I want to learn how to invest. And I was like, well, I don't know how to invest either. (laughs) But let's do that together. So um, my first piece that I wanted to really work on was my personal finances because I was more of a typical American with credit card debt, student loan debt. I was a, on a teacher's salary. Um, when we started this journey, I was making $40,000 a year and, it, and we got to the point where together we were saving 70% of our income. Wow. So that's how we were really able to get started in real estate. Um, so after, after we started really building our savings, um, then we started looking at properties in Indianapolis. I live in Indianapolis and um, we didn't really know if we wanted to pay for cash, you know, with the, like a C-class property and wanted to get a loan. We were new, we were just consuming content, you know, on bigger pockets and other platforms and podcasts. And finally, we ended up buying a, a C-class duplex, and but we bought it in within a path where it was like that area was progressing, was in the path of progress. So we knew in the future that it would be worth more, so we'd get that market appreciation and the forced appreciation because it also needed work. Mm-hmm. So we purchased that for $40,000, yes, 
it's crazy that yeah you can't find that in Indianapolis anymore I apologize people wait did you say uh did you say 40 40 thousand dollars yes I wow right. and yeah. we twenty thousand dollars into it I don't know my husband was able to get some really good deals they needed central air furnace on furnaces on each side water heaters I don't know but we were able to do it all for um, $20,000 in renovation costs, $40,000 for the duplex. Um, back then we rented each side for six fifty, but now we rent it probably close, like closer to 900 on each side. And then we refinanced it a year later and it was worth, I think that one was worth 135. So wow. we were, yeah. So we were able to get, we actually made money buying the property yeah so we burn we, we you know they call it burring you know buying um renovating renting refinancing and repeating so we did that process and we did that a couple times wow that is so exciting congratulations thank you yeah that, that uh well first of all the fact that you found a forty thousand dollar duplex in an area that's progressing um is really remarkable and so, you know, for everybody that's out there going, oh my gosh, how do I find a duplex for 40,000? Well, we're coming right out of one of the hottest cycles we've ever seen in housing, but now is the perfect time to get in and educate yourself. Start watching the zip codes that you're interested in. Start watching Zillow, Redfin, you know, the MLS and really noting what areas are starting to, you know, starting to drop in price but where they're desirable to live, right? So you wanna be looking for that. And if you've never looked before, you really need to become educated first so you don't make a bad decision and a bad purchase. That's one of the worst situations to be in is that you always make your money on the buy and mm -hmm. going into it. So you wanna make sure you do that correctly. So that's very exciting. Congratulations. What have you done since then? And do you still own these that unit? Yes, we still own it. <laughs> and it's in adding on to what you're saying too, you want to, you know, make sure that they are the next block to pro progress, right? You know, that there's renovations nearby. Because um, sometimes, you know, it, those properties aren't worth it just because it's cheap. So um, definitely be careful, right? I wouldn't recommend right. everyone to buy a $40,000 duplex. <laughs> but definitely do your due diligence, talk to property managers, talk to realtors. But yes, we still own that property. And it's great because the two houses next door have been renovated nicer than ours. So now we need to up the renovations to push rents even more. But um, so together, my husband and I, we just own eight units. Um, so we have a small residential portfolio. We also do um, flipping now too. And then we've also been offering on um, multifamily properties in the like 10 to 30 unit range. And then I've also joined a team um, with Jason Malabute where we're looking at eight to 99 units and really partnering with others with, it, with doing joint venture deals and syndicating as well in the future. Oh, that's exciting. Well, very good. Yeah. So um, for those people, I, you know, I've done a lot of flips in my time and, you know, some people are like, oh gosh, isn't it a really scary time to get into flipping? You've got high interest rates. 
Um, but again, if you know how to run numbers, it doesn't have to be a scary time. The most valuable thing is owning personal assets because you then get to do exactly what Anastasia and her husband did, which is force the appreciation on the property value. And you're able to get those higher um, uh, rental rates, right? And then on top of that, you don't get phone calls from your tenants because you've already rehabbed the buildings. Uh, you can take all that cash that you put into the building, refinance and pull your money out. And when the market turns and interest rates come back down, you know, we'll be, you'll be in a perfect place again to refinance out again. You know, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and one thing I really want to caution people on if they're going into flipping, um, I, I know that, you know, you can make a lot of money going in and being like the first or second on the block, but it's been my experience in these very uncertain times that you may be the one and only that ever hits that block. And that's a very scary place to be in. So I would recommend if you're getting into flipping, do not be the first on the block. You know, look at the neighborhood, make sure that there are other homes in the neighborhood that have been flipped. And maybe you're the second, third or fourth home on the block. You will still make a lot of money, even that far into the market, um, you know, I hate to use the word gentrification, but the path of progress, right? So um, tell me so far on your flipping experience. Um, I know for me, I saw, you know, labor, you know, labor go up dramatically. And because of the shortage of supplies, I saw those prices go up dramatically. How are you now budgeting or are you kind of tampering your investing and in flipping right now? I mean, where are you at in all that? Yeah, so we have one right now that's on the market, actually, as of 10, 10 days ago. And it's um, one of those that, okay, if we don't sell it, we have that exit strategy to refinance and rent it out. And it would still cash flow, even with a 7% interest rate. So going back to what you are saying is you have to make sure that you are running your numbers in this market right now with multiple exit strategies and not just one, and that you're being conservative with the after repair values, realizing that prices might drop. So if you're looking at that houses that sold in that neighborhood in May, you might not get as much as right now, since interest rates are, go are increasing and people might not be able to afford that same house in that same price point. And I mean, every market is different. You know, real estate is very local, but it's just good to, to make sure you're stress testing um, when you're looking at your after repair value of your houses. And I agree with making sure that you're always adding on some, you know, 10 or 20% contingency budget or a certain amount in case that your repairs um, and your materials go up. I mean, I remember even just, we needed to go buy drywall like in our last flip and long story that I'm buying drywall, but that's okay. But it, my husband was like, the bag has gone up several dollars in like three weeks ago. So yes, that is going to happen. So just make, make sure that your prices are accurate. Um, sometimes contractors will right now won't even like give you a quote for materials. We'll just give you a quote for labor and then expect you to get the materials. So definitely make sure to clarify that with your contractor, like whose responsibility is it to purchase materials if they go up? Does he have that in his budget or is he going 
time to, to do a change order. So those are all good conversations to have for sure. Yeah, that is great. Great advice. So when we're talking about having two exit strategies, I think it's really important to educate our audience on what that looks like. So, you know, obviously when you buy a home, you're anticipating that you're going to, you know, let's say you buy a home for a hundred thousand. Let's mm -hmm. keep it really simple. Yes. And you, you, you put in 30,000 and you anticipate selling it at 200,000. So the, the purpose of a second exit strategy is let's say you can't get 200,000 on that property. And instead you're only able to get 145,000, right? And you're only going to make 15,000 on that. Now, if you think about, and if you go to Zillow or Redfin or some of these, you're going to be able to find in your market what rents are going for on those particular homes. And if you can see that rent is going for 1500 or higher, mm -hmm. then it's to your benefit to actually hold that as a rental rather than take that $15,000 capital gain. That doesn't make sense. When, you know, $1,500 times 12 months you can make up that difference really quickly, right? From just the, and, and let your tenants pay that mortgage off. So yeah. in your situation here, where you've got this house that's been on the market for 10 days, um, tell us your numbers, if you don't mind sharing them, what's the rent? What do you think you can rent this property at? So I think we would be able to rent it between 16 to 1700. Um, I want to say off the top of my head that our mortgage, and I have my I have my calculator right here, so let me yeah. actually put it in here. But um, I wanted to say that even with the seven percent interest rate, um, so how I was running it early, I actually already have it in here, which is funny. But I was thinking, okay, if say that the bank says that it's only worth two hundred thousand dollars, I'm just being conservative. Um, so then I would have to leave like $50,000 in the deal and then they would, um, it's paid for in cash. I don't have a loan on it right now. So that, that would mean that I would get like a $150,000 check from them, right? If I refinance them. So with that payment, with a 7% interest rate. Okay. So that would be at $997. Um, just for the, the just mortgage. for the mortgage. Yeah, that's just principal and interest. That does not include taxes and insurance. So let's just to make the numbers simple, let's add on another $150 for the taxes and insurance. So that's like 1150. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I could probably get 1650. So even and that's with a seven percent interest rate. Yeah. And, and, you know, back in the day when I was taking my rich, getting my rich dad education, uh, they would say that anything over $400 is considered a win and that mm -hmm. you should hold on to that asset and add it to your portfolio. And so in your case, that's a win, right? Mm -hmm. You should be cash flowing about $600 um, or more. I, I will say that what I've experienced and tell me if it's the same in your market. So I'm in Kansas City. My market, the taxes have been going up to where it's eating, it's eating away my profit. But by the same token, again, I have these $250,000, $350,000 assets. And as long as the renters are paying that off and I'm not living off of that cash flow, I'm okay with it. 
how what's it like there in your your yeah, market? I would say that like the assessed value for even C C plus C plus properties are going up ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year in Indianapolis. One thing that you will want to check with your city when you start investing is making sure that when you're running your numbers, you're not running your numbers with homestead tax exemption, that you're actually running your numbers as a investor, because sometimes Zillow or, um, you know, Redfin, when they're putting, you know, the, ta the estimated taxes, they're running those numbers as if you're like a primary um, owner and living in that house. And in Indianapolis, um, roughly your taxes are 2%. And if you are an investor versus if you're getting the homestead tax exemption and living in the property, it's only 1%. That's a big difference. So that's just yeah. one thing to note. And that's one thing when I, when I see investors investor forums that like surprise people and that I don't even think I realized in the beginning but our properties were so cheap that it really didn't matter but as you're buying more expensive properties as you know when you're looking into multifamily too you want to make sure that you are um, estimating your taxes correctly because they are going up and they will continue to go up and you want to make sure that um, you're estimating them properly especially if you're bringing in partners. Wow. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So oh, really is it different in Kansas City? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, thank you for sharing that. That's great. I mean, every market's a little different. So it's really important if you're just getting started in this space to really uh, check out the different real estate network groups that are in your market, get to know the more experienced investors or flippers and, you know, lean on them for their expertise because, that's one thing I love about the real estate market is people that have walked before you are always eager to help people that are following in their footsteps and they want everybody to have success. I know that thankfully you found real estate very young in life. I was a little older in life to find it, but still I'm so thankful for it. And I don't think there's an age that limits the amount of success you can have. I think it, you can find it in your 70s and 80s and still be able to make a difference and help you find that financial freedom you're looking for. So let's move over to financial freedom. You said that in just a short amount of time, being a teacher um, and having a husband that's an immigrant, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. That, um, that you're now financially free. I mean, it's probably, you're not probably living your glory days yet, right? Since you just began, but you've, you've reached that financial freedom number. Awesome. Yeah. So we, when I say financial freedom, I'm talking about like basic level where our like rental income covers our food, our mortgage and our basic expenses. You know, we are not, you know, flying to Tahiti with that money. Um, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Still right. travel. That's, that's why I'm still working too. Right. Um, and then that, that also does not include our flipping. So, but yes, our rental income um, does pay for our basic expenses, but I will also say we're taking two of the units and turning them into Airbnbs. So right now, I'm, I'm hoping that will be more income, but right now those are, are vacant. But yes, eventually it will be even more money. But yeah, we're trying that strategy too. I don't think I mentioned that. No. In my introduction, no. but yes, always trying something different over here. 
But. No, that's that's great. And, and I can tell you, I, I turned one of my units over into a traveling nurse program. So oh, awesome. it's a short term lease. So it's a minimum, you know, a month or longer. And, um, you know, the one thing I didn't factor is the expense of furniture. And unfortunately, furniture was hard to come by when I was staging my property. And it was it was probably 7K over what I wanted to spend. How about you? It, how is yours going? You know, honestly, my husband has been taking that away from me, thank goodness. But I would say I I would say that we're okay within budget. Going back to I'm a very frugal person, but but it's taking so much longer than what we expected to set it up. Like so yeah. much longer. Um but we were also renovating the units too. We kind of are upgrading mm -hmm. them so that they could be Airbnb. So we're doing that simultaneously. And then I think my husband's like painting every door and we're making sure we have the right cameras and the digital keypad and, and just making sure like all the details are set. So it's taking a lot longer. Um, and then we've like returned things that, oh, we don't like that nightstand. It's not tall enough. We got to return it and take it back. So we have returned so many things, but thank you to all the Amazon drivers that have taken, oh my gosh, I, they've left like a whole mountain of boxes outside of my door. So I appreciate you. Yes. But yeah, it is. I think we're staying in budget, um, but it is more work than what you think. No, we are hiring a property manager for that. And he offered to set it up for $1,500 per unit. And we probably should have taken him, <laughs> taken his um, services, but we did, my husband wanted to do it. So I'm letting him do it. No, you know, I, I think it's um, to your advantage. Anything that's brand new that you try yourself, that way moving forward, you already know the experience and people can't take advantage of you in the future. So, and you have a bigger, you have a greater appreciation for what those people do, right? I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I, I agree. Um, so that's fabulous. So let's switch gears and let's go into multifamily. You mentioned that you've joined a new team and you're looking. Um, so just tell us pretty briefly, what does that look like? And how did you come about, how'd you find your new team? Yeah, so I was working with like a real estate coach and I was, he was like really pushing me to like always put myself out there and I really needed to work on my underwriting. So once again, going back to those real estate forums, like get yourself out there, people. I know Jennifer, you like preach that as well, but get yourself out there. And I, I, I saw a post from Jason Malabute who was saying that he was looking for underwriting partners or accountability partners um, who would underwrite a deal once a week, focusing on the Indianapolis market. Well, I live in Indianapolis and that's the, I was looking in central Indiana, not just Indianapolis, but I was like, sure, yeah, let's do this. So we started underwriting deals weekly together since March. And um, so he was sending LOIs for his deals. I was sending LOIs on my own deals. Um, I got really, really close to getting one, one property. We were like uh, number two out of seven offers. 
um, but we we still didn't get it. Um, they wanted it was in our terms too, not the offer price, which is really interesting. But um, anyway, the market is very competitive right now. So um, during the summer, we were talking, and we kind of started talking about the idea of like joining forces and having uh, a team member that would strictly do the underwriting, then having a team member that you know is working with you know the passive investors. Um, working for the, uh, sorry, doing the off-market campaign and then kind of that, that boots on the ground role. So me being in Indianapolis, I already have broker relationships. Um, I wasn't doing an off-market campaign. So that was kind of new. I like the idea of that. Um, but I was already talking to property managers, contractors, lawyers, local banks, all those pieces. So we kind of decided to join forces and I kind of be the boots on the ground person and get a um, part of the general partnership percentage if, if we syndicate and then um, also have the option to joint venture if we find like a smaller deal. Oh, okay. That is a beautiful way to do it. And I like that you started out working together first to make sure it was a good fit before you ever entertained actually putting some kind of team structure together. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. So, you know, it, it's kind of like dating. You need to really make sure that your, your goals and your values align before you decide, hey, let's put a, this, you know, make it a little more formal. So that's beautiful. Hey, and don't get discouraged. Um, I looked at 250 units or 250 properties before I ever found mine. And, um, you know, mine came during COVID. So, you know, take just, I think there's going to be some opportunities around the corner. Everybody keeps saying it. And of course, we, we don't have a crystal ball to really tell us, but I think, the fact that you're in the game and you're playing in it and you're making LOIs, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so your time is right around the corner. And I know it's going to happen for you. And who knows, I might get so lucky that I'll be here in Kansas City. <laughs> so that'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, I, I hope so. Thank you, Jennifer, for your encouragement. So. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, so how can somebody follow back up with you? Maybe somebody is listening here and they're uh, you've inspired them to get started in real estate or they want to start flipping or, or maybe they live in your market. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Bigger Pockets, Anastasia Gamino. I'm on Facebook, Anastasia Gamino. That's A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A-G-A-M-I-N-O. And then I'm on Instagram as Gaminos Invest. So yeah, I would love to um, chat with people. I'm always talking to new investors. I love helping other people. So feel free to reach out. Okay, that's wonderful. If there's one last thing you could leave with our audience to um, really inspire them, what would it be? I would say don't wait. Don't wait to get into real estate. Um, because I felt like when I started three years ago, I thought the market was at the highest. What was I doing? We, and don't wait, just go out there and, and start networking. Like Jennifer was saying, get to know your, your neighborhoods, get to know um, re investor, realtors or brokers, depending on if you're 
going after multifamily or single family, but don't wait, just get started and start networking. I feel like that's one mistake that I made was in the beginning, I didn't start networking until I felt more confident as an investor. Mm -hmm. But like Jennifer mentioned, like investors love helping people. Um, just put yourself out there. They'll help you analyze deals. Um, don't be afraid to talk to other people. So just get going and get started. I love that advice. And to piggyback on that, when I got started in real estate, which was 2015, the following year, 2016, I finally started investing in properties because I finally felt like, okay, I have enough knowledge and confidence that I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I was meeting investors that said, it is not a good time to be investing in real estate. We are at the top of the market. You should not be buying these houses right now. And I'm so thankful I didn't listen to them because look, we just had the most expansive um, you know, real estate years that we've seen in a very long time since 2008. And I would have missed out on all those opportunities. So uh, get the education you need audience. Um, you know, study so that you're equipped to make good decisions, no matter what opportunity is in front of you. Mm -hmm. So awesome. thank you. Thank you again for being here and look forward to future opportunities work, you know, working with you and Jason in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and leave a rating or review because it helps support the growth of this podcast. Also, I'd be so grateful if you would please share our podcast on Instagram and tag me at Mastering Money for Moms to help us grow our community of mothers. We'll see you on the next episode of Mastering Money for Moms.